Hi, this is the official podcast of the WCD. We are only three months away from the World Congress of Dermatology, which will be held in Singapore in July. I am Dr. Etienne Wang from the National Skin Center of Singapore, and I will be a host for this podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. In this podcast, I speak with dermatologists and skin researchers from all over the world to talk about all things dermatology. And today, my co-host Ellie is back with a derm topic for discussion. Hi, Ellie. I understand you just had uh, quite an interesting event over the weekend. Yes, correct. Um, the last Saturday, we had this event called Behavioural Health Insights in Dermatology. It was organised by the Society of Behavioural Health as well as NUH and La Roche-Posay. So that happened just a few days ago. And that's something that you're quite interested in, right? A lot of your research uh, centres around behavioural um, modifications in dermatology in your patients. Indeed, you're right. And it's quite nice to have this event where we can bring together people from different walks of life, like psychologists, social workers, nurses, and other clinicians who also share an interest in behavioural health as well as psychodermatology. So why don't you tell us a bit about a few takeaways from this event? So in this event, uh, a few things I learned. So one is that um, we had some sharings about patients who had a very strong psychological component to their skin disease. And one insight was that some of these skin diseases really looked really organic. In textbooks, when we see dermatitis artifacts, some of them are really obviously self-inflicted. But some of these cases that were brought up on self-inflicted injuries can really look clinically and histologically like differentials like paniculitis, um, erythema nodosum. And a lot of times, these patients, and sometimes if they're children, even their parents would completely deny any form of self-inflicted injury. And it can be very tricky to diagnose. So that was one of the insights that I picked up. Oh, wow. How do you actually get around to making the diagnosis in these cases? Yeah, so Prof. Marco was sharing these cases and I think a lot of it is sort of picking up small, subtle cues from the patient. For example, they could be saying things that were maybe a bit mature for their age because he sees a lot of children. So children who are uh, eight, nine years old talking about like relationships, um, struggles in the family, financial difficulties. And I think these are some of subtle red cues that you can start to pick up. And then if you detect these things, then just speak a bit more to the patient, finding out a bit more from the parents if there are any difficulties in school, relationship, in the family. And hopefully that will just help to guide, uh, not over-investigating, but at the same time doing adequate due diligence to rule out organic causes. Wow, that's, I can imagine how challenging that can be because, you know, you don't want to make any false accusations um, if you haven't actually got the actual diagnosis. Indeed, it is a very tricky and it's a very delicate situation. And a lot of times you really want to handle it with care um, because these patients, are they should really be protected as well, I think. I think we all know how difficult these patients are to manage because sometimes um, when they're in denial, it's very hard to make them change their behaviours. What are some tricks that were discussed that can actually help in these cases? So I think number one, if patients are aware of particular behaviours, so commonly would be things like skin picking, nail biting or hair pulling, there are established techniques that can be used to correct these behaviours. The most common is habit reversal therapy. So habit reversal therapy involves first identifying what are the stimuli and triggers that would provoke this hair pulling behavior. So commonly, they would cite things like being bored or being stressed or being scolded. And once you've identified the stressor, the next thing you want to do is to identify a competing response. So instead of pulling your hair, is there something else you can do? Like, for example, pulling on the earlobe instead. And the last part is reinforcement. So when you have the trigger, instead of pulling your hair, you pull on the ear. And then you just try to keep reinforcing this new habit until the old habit passes away. So that's an example using habit reversal therapy. 
are there any new developments in this field that um, actually can make this therapy a little bit more efficient? Not to my knowledge of new therapies. I mean, there certainly are new ways of delivering the intervention. So previously, people is always delivered in person. Um, for example, my group is trying to look at whether we can deliver habit reversal therapy digitally. Um, and I think it's been also tried before, like for example, using apps and using gamification to try to reinforce um, this sort of therapy. Yeah, that's what I was getting at, like gamification or maybe even AI. You know nowadays with generative AI, you have chatbots that might be able to help patients come to terms with their behavioural issues. Mm, yeah, I think, uh, you know, AI and chatbots, these things are really growing nowadays. And I think as it becomes even more accurate and personalised, maybe these would be some really good ways for patients to help to overcome some of their difficult habits to break. Mm, okay, that's, that's very hopeful for our patients. And if we do have any patients requiring this therapy, what's the best way to get them such help? So most of these therapies are actually probably best delivered by psychologists because they use this quite regularly. And habit reverse therapy is just one. Um, another popular tool is cognitive behavioural therapy, and that's also delivered by psychologists. Um, but increasingly, I think some clinicians like myself, um, we're trying to learn some of these small things that we can do. Hopefully, one day we'll be able to incorporate a little bit of it into our dermatological clinics as well. Okay. Well, thank you, Ellie. I think you're doing very good work. And thank you for sharing with us. Thank you very much, Etienne. And I hope you're very excited for the upcoming WCD. We're almost there. For sure. Very excited. Very excited. Just a few more months. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. And now I'd like to welcome to the podcast Professor Go Chi Lok, who was the director of the National Skin Centre from 1990 to 2004. He was also the past president of the Society of Laser Medicine and Surgery of Singapore and past president of the Environmental and Occupational Dermatology Society of Singapore. He has also been a clinical professor with the Faculty of Medicine National University of Singapore and published extensively, including being a chapter contributor to numerous dermatology textbooks and editor of several books, including the Asian Skin Atlas. Welcome, Professor Go, to the podcast. Thank you, Yitian. My pleasure. You have a very extensive experience in dermatology and I see that and for an upcoming WCD, you are chairing it, speaking at six sessions or more. Is that right? Yes, that's right. There are one or two more, actually. <laughs> yeah, and um, the topics that you're involved in include cosmetic dermatology, laser therapy for vascular lesions, and contact dermatitis. Yes, those are my, my passions, and I find the two topics very exciting and sort of, uh, it's, uh, very uh, challenging in managing them. What else drew you to these specific subspecialties of dermatology? Well, it's actually my passion. I started off dermatology in the 1980s, and at that time, everything was very new. And in particular, I started off with contact dermatitis and occupational skin disease, which is a very infant subspecialty in Singapore at that time. And then uh, the then late Dr. Rajan, our directors, encouraged me to take up the specialty and arranged for me to have my training in the UK and Sweden. And from them, I, I found the subject very ch challenging in the sense that it is like a Sherlock Holmes kind of uh, activities where you have to look for underlying uh, suspected allergens and do investigations to try to identify what causes the allergic contact dermatitis. So it's become very challenging to me. And uh, from then onward, then we start to develop the specialty even further. And then we have now three to four generations of uh, contact dermatitis uh, experts who have taken over from me. And, the subsequent uh, leads. Mm. Yeah, I always enjoy um, contact dermatitis clinics because I find that I can be as nosy as I want. I can ask the patients about every single little thing as I want. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What do you think are some of the advances in this field that are particularly important to advancing uh, contact dermatitis service in dermatology? 
I think the important part about contact dermatitis and occupational skin disease is the ability to identify the incriminating allergens. And then we have a lot of new allergens that are being introduced into the in the environment, and especially in the industry, and uh, they can cause outbreaks of uh, allergic contact dermatitis that can be quite extensive sometimes. And then with the uh, the ability to identify the allergens, that, that helps us to, uh, to solve a lot of patients' problems. And there are many outbreaks that we need to understand. And there are now also devices that help us to do analysis on the chemicals that, are, that the patient brings along that enables us to confirm whether the allergens is relevant or not relevant. Hmm. Um, you mean a point of care kind of a device that can detect allergens? Uh, it's not really a care device. It's more of analytical de- devices and uh, uh, procedures that allows us to identify certain allergens, including common things like the presence of formaldehyde in uh, toiletry products, for example, or the presence of chromates or nickel in the certain cutting fluids uh, environment kind of thing where you can do analysis work. Uh, in the past, we are we have problem identifying these allergens in the product. I mean, it would be very interesting if you had some sort of a strip or something where you could just almost like a pH indicator to detect these allergens. Would that, would that be something that would be helpful in the clinic? Yes, already there are some. For example, in, there's this uh, dimethylglycine chemicals where you mix them and you rub it on a surface that release nickel. You can get a pink discoloration as an indicator of the presence of nickel. So there are other products, uh, other chemicals that are now uh, people are developing to see whether we can test them for the presence of the allergens in the environment. And I was doing my research on you and you once said in an interview that you believe that the biggest threat to dermatology was non-science-based cosmetic dermatology. Do you still feel that way? Yes, I think we are being threatened by that, especially the medical profession and the dermatological profession because we are trained in such a way where we do things that are evidence-based. But unfortunately, in cosmetic dermatology, the patients are always in patients and the doctors treating them are in a hurry to try to impress the patient. And some of the procedures and, and, and devices that have been introduced uh, were not evidence-based in the sense that there's no proper studies confirm the efficacies and their ability to, to treat the conditions that so, so, so claim. And in fact, from the personal experience, I noticed that there are many procedures and devices that have been published and uh, Uh, presented in conferences and then when you go home and you try to repeat the whole procedures you don't seem to get the results that they claim uh, that they can get you see so i suspect all these are people who actually are practicing non-evidence-based and just use on an anecdotal basis to claim their outcome and their effect and i think this is very dangerous because we we are not practicing medicine in the way that we should and we are bluffing our patients and I think right now also with the rise in social media, a lot of fake news, a lot of people have been able to fabricate evidence as well. So a lot of things that look evidence-based might actually be backed by things like AI-generated papers or even jargon that don't really mean anything. Yes, I agree with you. And I think the dermatological community should create to come together to try to formulate guidelines and uh, recommendations in uh, various uh, procedures, those which are evidence-based and those which are still pending uh, research and all that. Because I think there are still a feeling among some dermatologists that 
the uh, cosmetic dermatology is an unimportant field and that is all due to beauty but if you look at studies on quality of life of people with cosmetic problems uh, you will be surprised that the they are very troubled by what they have and although it may be cosmetic but it will mean a lot to them if you can help them relieve of their problems even simple things like lentigos and all that there are people who are very troubled by it and they want to have some treatment so we should offer them the treatment but we should offer them evidence-based treatment where they can expect the outcome and know the outcome because we don't do that then nobody will be able to help the patients and nobody will be able to challenge the quacks so to say that the non uh, true dermatologists Mm. Well, tell me about it. My subspecialty is hair, so <laughs> I, I know thing. all about I it. Yeah, sure. Yes, you know, we used to think that oh, all these androgenetic alopecias are important, but you speak to a lot of the patients, you realize that they really have got such a heavy impact on them. Yes, yes, I know. I have some patients who whose life completely changed after you help them grow back their hair, and it's it's a confidence and change in outlook and life that really cannot be captured by a lot of quality of life surveys or even other metrics of um, improvements. Yes, fully agree. So, Prof, what are you most looking forward to to the upcoming WCD? Well, I'm looking forward to it being held in Singapore. I mean, we have always been dreaming of having a huge big wow, conference yes. coming coming to Singapore, and finally, it has arrived. And it's very good that the, the dermatological community in Singapore are pulling themselves together to try to organize this uh, fantastic event. And it's an event of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the for every four years that we are organizing. And it's, I'm very proud that we are able to host the event and with so many people chipping in to participate in the various aspects of the organization. And then we expect more people to come. And the only problem is that we are worried that because of the aftermath of the COVID that the, the number of participants may not be as many as we can. So we hope more people will come and participate to support uh, the World Congress, especially, especially uh, in its presence in Singapore. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm going to meet a lot of my good old friends uh, who have been uh, in attending all these conferences, especially the WCD in this part of the world now. Mm. Have you got any exciting uh, meetups or meals planned for them? Oh yes, they, they have asked me to organize some meals for them and some of my good friends and organizing some of the society uh, activities as well. So it's going to be very exciting and we're going to eat and eat and eat and grow very fat uh, during <laughs> those few days. But it will be a, a pleasure actually to entertain some of my good friends. Yes, absolutely. I think this is going, to, it's going to be a very exciting meeting. I think preparations are underway and we are all very excited and we can actually feel the anticipation in the air. Yes, I hope everybody will try to come if they can. Okay, well, thank you, Prof, for, for joining me on this podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. And that was our official podcast of WCD. We're almost at the WCD. It's only a few months away. And if you haven't registered, please do. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram at WCD2023 Singapore. And check out the WCD website, WCD2023Singapore.org for more updates and content on the WCD. And until next time, stay safe and use sunblock.